Hello and welcome to Property Roundup on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on new trends emerging. This show is brought to you in partnership with Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the team behind Connemara's Digital Graveyard Project. So I'm joined by uh, Marie Mannion, Heritage Officer, Barry Doyle, IS Project Leader, and Bree-Jean Feeney, GIS Technician, all from Galway County Council. Um, you're all very welcome. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank Thanks you, for having us. Here. Now, Marie, I might just hand over to you. Digital Graveyard, we deal with a lot of uh, prop tech, construction technology. Uh, we're so interested in the technology around land. This is the first uh, this is the first digital graveyard I've come up. I, I've come across. So you might just explain to listeners what exactly is the project and, and what does it involve? Okay, well, I might go step back a little bit in time and just explain where we're coming from first and why we're doing it, and uh, to, to I suppose to, to to so that people will understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. But um, I suppose about thirty years ago, uh, I was working in the genealogy centre in Galway uh, West. And we started to to map graveyards. And that time it was basically you're out surveying on the ground and it was all paper based. And uh, we found there was a huge, huge interest in it. Uh, It was very, very time consuming. And uh, I suppose basically if you made mistakes, it was, you know, like there was a huge amount of work in correcting or whatever. And then in the intervening years, I came to Galway County Council and I teamed up with my lovely colleagues in the geographical information systems. And I kind of said, look, uh, could we start digitally mapping graveyards? And they said, absolutely. So uh, then we kind of, I suppose what they needed for me was a, a schema to know kind of what it was we wanted. So because we're starting off and there was nothing really here that we could see, the the nearest place we could see something was America, uh, the States. I had seen systems like this in the States. So basically went through with the GIS team at the time and just said, look, we really want people to be able to find their ancestors, um, whether it's for, you know, kind of say the, the people living in Ireland or the diaspora. Diaspora is hugely important for a county like Galway um, because when I ran the genealogy centre, I used to see people coming in constantly trying to find graves and having huge issues and huge trouble. Um, so basically, I suppose we worked on a schema and we developed up a system, but there was still a huge element of paper involved and uh, the number of processes. There, there were probably about 10 processes, checks, cross checks. Uh, they all had notebooks that had to be all written down, then uploaded onto um, onto a spreadsheet and then checked and cross checked. And it, the room fair was huge. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of, but it was still, it was still a digital product. So then uh, fast forward to uh, about three years ago, and uh, we had a conversation again to say, well, technology has really moved on and uh, uh, enters Barry into the fray. And uh, Barry said, well, yeah, definitely we can, we can look at uh, kind of creating a new platform to digitally, you know, for the digital mapping of graveyards. And one that wasn't going to be so labor intensive. So I suppose the big thing then was we had to use a system that, because we and the local authority, as you can see, there's only three of us here. Uh, So, and there's over 250 graveyards in the ownership of Galway County Council. Plus there's probably another 200 graveyards in other ownership, not council ownership. 
So, and you look at the number of memorials and you look at the age of the memorials and all the work. So we rely very heavily on community groups. So basically the big thing for us was to develop a system that was going to be user-friendly, that communities could use, that, that communities, rather than getting consultants in, and they're coming in and doing it and taking off again. We needed a system that was user friendly, could be used by the local community, that they would be trained up on. If they needed to add to it again, they could. Uh, and also as well, we needed to uh, take on board, uh, I suppose, the the leader companies, the two leader companies, Gullaroo Development and Forum Connemara, as well as the Hearst Council, for taking on somebody that would do the training with the local community groups. So I suppose I'm going to hand over to Barry and Virgin um, just to talk you through kind of developing up the schema because uh, really without a schema, if you haven't the schema, you're on a hiding to nothing. So um, basically, uh, I suppose the big thing was that we had very open conversations and Virgin um, and Barry went and took kind of what we wanted and worked it up and we used to come back and see where we're at. So I'm going to hand over to them now to, to let you know a bit about all the hard work that they did because they they uh, did a massive amount of work behind the scenes and it's absolutely phenomenal what they've uh, achieved. Thanks a million, Marie. Um, Barry uh, or Bridget, you might just start by explaining to people who mightn't be familiar, you know, when, when uh, Marie is talking about a schema, like start from the beginning when you're taking on a project like this, where do you start? Okay, I I take that one. So I'm always focusing on the data. So I kind of blew in the face sometimes, and I bore people talking about data. But data in this current world is the new oil, as as they describe it. So what we were aware of was that there was lots of surveys being done, and Marie has described how data was being collected by many different people in many different ways. And then when you try and stick it all together, it becomes quite difficult. And there's a lot of work, manipulation, uh, transformation um, that has to be done. So I focused on the data schema. So the data schema is basically a list of questions. What does the survey of any particular grave entail? So it was about standardizing and agreeing that set of questions. So that involved working with Marie, Bridget, and also the people who were carrying out the surveys. So once we had agreed a standard, um, what we then did is we looked at the best technology to use to implement that. So one of the things, again, we would focus on is not technology for technology's sake, but technology, the use of technology so that it delivers value. Um, we have a, a GIS platform in use in the council. That's an enterprise platform, and it contains both desktop, server, and cloud elements. So this was an ideal project for rolling out on the, the cloud-based elements of the platform. So we built a survey template based on the data schema, and we make that available to people through an app. So an app on their phone or an app on the tablet. And and that means that anybody anywhere in the world, basically, who's using our survey is capturing data in a standardized way. And that satisfies principles such as um, collect once, use many times, um, which is the, is the key one. 
because we only want data captured once. And then once it's captured, and we do a lot of checks when the data is being captured, then it can be shared out. So that's a cloud-based technology. Data from many different graveyards can be surveyed, at, uh, collected at the same time. And then we have a number of processes in the background that uh, integrates all that data into a master data set. And then that gets published out as both open data and open data is a, is a way, it's, it's a principle of data that's collected is shared out openly under an open license for anybody to use as they wish. So that data is available on our own council's open data portal and it'd be also available on the national open data portal. But what we also do is we've also built our own application, web-based application to enable members of the public or genealogists or whoever search the database, uh, analyze the database and extract from the database. Very good. Barry, can I just um, go back a step to say, I, I know your focus is on the data, but I, I bear in mind what Marie said about, you know, um, just the volume of graveyards um, in County County Galway that, you know, I, I, and obviously only 250 of them are under the, the ownership of Galway County Council. Like, so just in terms of getting that data, were you were you able to start with any information? This, you know, was it a manual approach to going around um, uh, collecting up information? I appreciate the local, the, the local input would be important, but how did people contribute to that? Well, I, I'll hand over to Breedine in a minute because Breedine works with a lot of the, the groups who are actually carrying out the surveys. But from a technology point of view as well, this is cloud-based. So it's expandable. It, it can expand to however big we want it to be. Okay, so we don't have to worry about the size of the database. We don't have to worry about the, the technical architecture to support this because this is in the cloud and it's therefore we can expand out. So we don't do 250 graveyards at the same time. We, we pick particular ones because there is a, a bit of hand-holding. We have to set things up. And then we have to make sure that the data is coming in is correct and validated before we then stick it together as part of the bigger picture. Um, so just in terms of that engagement process, I, I'll hand over to Brigitte and she can just kind of describe what she does. Thank you. Yeah. So I suppose um, I'm kind of the middle person here. And um, so what happens really is um, the local community groups would uh, go to Marie and Marie would give them advice on getting funding, etc., and what's involved in the project. And then once that's uh, agreed, then they would come to me. So my part then is I would set up a mobile survey, first of all. So that can be used on any mobile phone. Um, as Barry was explaining earlier, it's using the standardized schema. So all the information that's being collected can all be standardized across the, the different ones. So we start off with the mobile survey um, and then we also uh, create a desktop survey. Um, so the desktop survey is using the same uh, data set as the mobile survey. So what's collected on the mobile can also be seen on your desktop, but it means then that users can, doesn't they don't have to do everything standing out because we all know how cold, even on the sunniest of days, graveyards can be very cold places. 
Um, so basically what users, what we found is that they go out and they would collect the basic information. So the location of the grave, uh, the surnames and, you know, some of the basic information that's easily visible on the on the memorials. And then they'd also take a picture. And that means then they can go back in on the cold, wet days and sit in their nice, comfortable sitting rooms with their laptops out and a cup of tea. And then they can fill in all the, the rest of the information. Um, um, so we also have... Oh, no, sorry. I, I was actually just going to say maybe, Brigitte, you might just expand on uh, the type of data that would be required because anybody who's had to do a title search... Um, it, it, we, it, it, in fact, only in recent years, I found myself having to drive across the country to to walk through a graveyard to try track down the graves and to try match them up. And I was really surprised, having uh, worked in conveyancing maybe more than twenty years ago, that this is still <laughs> this is still what we're doing. And then you're signing an affidavit and sending a photograph of that grave, to, you know, to show um when when you needed to support um a title deed check or something like that so i was really surprised so you might just kind of break it down for people listening what is the information you need so obviously surnames um but in terms of getting the we'll actually just take us through the information first and then maybe we'll we'll talk about how to really get accurate about the location of the grave um yep so we collect like uh hundreds of sorry i'm just trying to pull up list here um all the basics so each everything that is on the memorial is basically collected so names surnames uh, date of births date of deaths um ages any any information that is on the memorials uh, is is being collected so of course that information won't be on every single memorial but if it's there it's it's been collected um and then the we found the photographs as well are are very very useful um, and we have uh, we trained the, the volunteers up on various different techniques from taking them early in the morning. So if there's shadows uh, and not not getting reflections on them and things like that. And, and Marie has loads of experts that come in and, and help out with those kind of things. Um, and uh, yeah, for the location, the location is there. There's two things. And I suppose I might get Barry to, to pop in on the on the second one. The, the first one is um, the location is just taken on the mobile phone. So, of course, that that is can be depend on the device and could depend on the day and depend on like some of the graveyards are, are uh, quite remote. Uh, some of the ones we've done out in the West Connemara's, they wouldn't have the, the greatest of, of, of mobile signals out there. Um, but the good thing is that um, we've for a lot of the graveyards, um, we have done drone surveys as well. So high resolution drone surveys. So those drone surveys can be layered on top of our regular mapping and they can be used then on the desktop to um, accurately locate where the, where the grave is. So, yes, um, it's fantastic. I love I showed this to my mother, who's a, a, a lover of traveling around the country. And if she sees a graveyard swearing that there's some relative of ours in there somewhere and spending hours going around. So just having this virtually online for the likes of her is is amazing um, from the fact that you can like you nearly feel that you're on the ground walking through the 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 drone survey uh, information is so, so clear. And, and, and how how are locals reacting to this? Do, like, is this something they want? Absolutely, I think. And I think it's as Marie was 
saying earlier on, it's not just the locals, it's people all over the country and all over the world. Um, because it's it's opened up that, um, I think, the interest. And I think COVID, I think it was always an interest of Irish people, uh, knowing who, who they were and where they came from. And I think COVID then added an extra layer of, because we can't, you know, just being told you're you're confined to within two kilometres, you know, is kind of not not good for the Irish psyche. So I think it really highlighted the fact of systems like this that we can access from our homes, um, that we can do all that research. And as as Barry was saying, it's all open, so it's all there for for anybody to to go in and look at. And you know, you can you can filter it down to your own family surname. And then you can download that onto your own system and you can use it any way you want, like so, or pass and it on to your, your friends and families uh, around the world. Uh, do you know, I, I can absolutely see that people will be fascinated. I mean, we saw after Joe Biden's visit um, to Mayo earlier this year that there was a huge rise in um, uh, genealogy services um, in Ireland. But I, I suppose I'm conscious that because you're starting, you've mentioned kind of some of West Connemara, you're going into the heart of the Gaeltacht. Um, is there any issue in terms of switching between English and Irish language or, in fact, different spellings? Because I know yes. from walking around local graveyards that you've the same yeah. surname. Yeah. And even from the lane I live in at the moment, there's yeah. two, two uh, there's cousins and they would spell their name differently. So, um, you know, is this is this a problem when you're trying to get clean data that's searchable? Well, I, just from a technical point of view, the way we say it is we record what's on the memorial. So as best as you possibly can. So sometimes with the old writing and, and yeah, different spellings and things, as you say, in the same plot, you could have three surnames spelled differently. But what we tell the volunteers to do is to record it as they see it as best as they can on the memorial. Um, so I suppose Marie is probably more of the expert then is... When it comes to genealogy, I think when you're doing a search, you need to take that into account. So yeah. my, my surname is Feeney, and even in English, there's old Feenies, and there's Feenies with an E and without an E. And uh, when you go into the Irish spellings of them, there's at least four or five different versions that I am aware of that are all used within my family. So I suppose yeah. it's more from the gene genealogist side of things that you yeah. agree with that. And Marie, like just in terms of the the reaction that you're getting and people searching, and not even uh, about kind of getting the names accurate and things like that, but um, at the moment, who is who is using this or who's who's stepping it, forward? Well, basically, it surprises us, uh, because like who we think we have developed the system for and who's using it uh, can be two different things and it, it reveals itself in lots of different ways. So you have um, the genealogist and I'd say every week I average between six and eight genealogy inquiries, uh, you know, and mostly from, they're mostly from the States and the UK, uh, but right. predominantly the States. But um, basically, I suppose the other, uh, you find art historians uh, are using it because you see if you look at spelling you know kind of if you look at iconography and you look at the spellings and whatever they're looking at trends and they're looking at how you know kind of like memorials are like fashion as well because if you look at the type now they're predominantly marble black marble that's what's in vogue but you can see now even as well that the old limestone ones are coming back a bit uh, where they're bespoke you know they're by artists and craftspeople but 
basically it, it shows a style and you can, so art historians use it. It's used for teaching in schools. Um, the third level colleges use it. Um, and a priest actually told me a while ago that uh, some of his um, congregants that weren't able to go to the graveyard, you know, to say prayers for their loved ones, were getting like they're getting family members to pull it up online and to uh, to uh, what do you call it? to um, to you know pay the respect. But also as well, you have a lot of anthropologists, you have social historians because you can. Um, and Barry will probably tell you a little bit more about this, but you can pull it up by date. You can see how many people died in a particular year. You can see what months people predominantly died in. There's so many. Like there's so many uses, um. Say, in for example, in Uthard as well, in Uthard Heritage, they started putting up memorial cards to go with. You know, there's a whole they put on that. We have um, a section like on our schema called Other. So if people come across other information, they can upload it. But the real important part of this is we spend a huge amount of time and resources training people on how to do it properly. And not to not to put down what they think they see, but they have to put down exactly what they see. If they come with additional information, say for example, uh, they know the townland in which the person comes from, and it's not up on the it's not on the memorial. Uh, they're allowed to put it in, but they're allowed to say that where they got that information, and that has to be verified locally. Oh, that and that's actually a really interesting one because I was thinking about that when I was walking around the graveyard of when it was families, it wasn't my local area, so I wasn't familiar with the family. So I saw surnames and you can think they're connected or sometimes you see surnames with different spellings and you don't think they're connected and actually both both can be incorrect. So local knowledge goes a long way, but how accurate, how dependable is local knowledge if you're going back a couple of generations? You have to be extremely careful. So it's only verified and we get people to sign that they have that information is correct. And we usually ask them to it has to be signed off by at least two people. And usually they have to be family members. So we're very, very careful about what. And that's shown actually in a very in a different like what you see on the memorial and what you see on the um sorry, what you see in the memorial and what you what uh, you you know what the end product you you have to be able to distinguish where information came from other sources so we we do that as well so um like the standardization and the quality quality control is really really important so in order to do this properly we have a lot of like say we would work with the leader companies in Galway like um Gold Rural Development Forum, Conmar, also the Heritage Council, you know, kind of in where they, they uh, we would kind of recommend kind of various training the community groups would undergo mm -hmm. so that they're not just thrown in the deep end and don't know exactly, don't know what they're dealing with. So there is a lot of training and we have resources as well. We have genealogical resources available and we also have how to, we have uh, publications and we have videos on how to read the iconography, how to read various elements of, you know, what you see. Um, and then coupled with that as well, we're digitizing townland, uh, you know, information on townlands like the 1901-1911 census, Griffiths valuation. So basically there are other resources. So that combined with the graveyards is providing a huge, huge resource. It's a colossal resource. We know that... We know from uh, hits on the website um, or on our system, and even in the past, that it's been huge. Like it's been used used widely, but um, we don't. I mean, medical people studying medical science 
and medical history may also be using it, social scientists. So who we know are using it, we, we're all the time, it, it unveils, it, it's like an onion. Uh, it kind of, uh, it, we only find out when somebody contacts us. So we like that list keeps growing. But also the people making, you know, the memorials themselves, they find that useful as well. Do you know, say that's from making livings from, from graveyards and there are people. So it's not just genealogists that are interested. It's a myriad of people for a myriad of different reasons. I might uh, turn yeah. back to Barry as well, just to talk about the drone element. Because um, oh, like that element is fascinating. And, yeah. Um, yeah. No, you know, I, so. I, I, and I want to, I, I definitely want to hear more about that. But in terms of... Um, the type of people using it and the art historians at all. One thing we've seen is that actually when you're designing a solution, particularly something that's community based, but really almost any technology, you know, you're usually designing it with a use case in mind. But actually, when people get familiar with it or get familiar with the resource, they use it in lots of different ways, ways we didn't intend. And that's a really interesting one. So, Barry, I, I, I do want to hear more about the drone side of it. But first, you might just t talk me through like as the IS, um responsible for the IS project uh, overseeing this, you know, in terms of uh, Marie mentioned there, you know, the different types of uh, headstones and memorials that would be used. Some of them have not weathered as well as others. So when I see, you know, anybody who's walked around a graveyard will see that sometimes you're really feeling um, to try get the to try get the letters or to make out the dates. So some of them, you know, will have faded. So how are you counting for that in the project? Also, um, and I suppose in a, in a similar vein, when we mentioned there's kind of an other resources category from a project point of view, how are you accounting for that um, when you're pulling the information together and, and, and I suppose designing uh, designing this uh, for multiple uses? So I'll, I'll probably bore everybody again by talking about data schemas uh, again, but I'm not an archaeologist. I don't go out and do any surveys. You know, uh, I don't I have never used the app in anger in, in a, you know, to carry out a, a survey of a graveyard. But the people who are doing that are the people who are trained to complete the survey. So the, the survey is just an app with a set of questions. But what they have to type in is something that they have to interpret, that they use their skills, that they liaise with archaeologists and, and specialists. So those skills are completely separate to the skills myself and Brigitte would bring to this project. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is we've just provided them with a solution. Uh, and the solution caters for uh, and provides them with what they want. So we're, we're delighted that we can do that. But what we can't do is we can't train them up into how to distinguish um, old Latin you know, text and convert that into English and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the fact is, is I'll go back that they now have a permanent digitally available data source and that's openly available. So other experts can then take the content and they can do further analysis on it and uh, translations and so on. And then they can republish it and they can include it in their own uh you know, studies and their own papers and so on. But the fact is that the data source is there for them. So it's not only captured by experts, it can be used by experts and it can be further interpreted and analyzed. So the, the point that uh, Marie was making earlier is that 
we don't know all the use cases. We, we knew a couple of the use cases and they were very valuable use cases, but we're really hoping that people are going to, you know, as the data set increases in size from 30,000 burials to 100,000 burials, well, then you can imagine somebody saying, okay, I'm going to do a study on uh, the patterns of births and deaths, well, not births, deaths uh, within this area during the famine years or whatever. But once we get that sufficient data set there, uh, the value will continue to increase. So that's what I really, that's what I'm really excited about, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, and obviously the, the potential for its use is huge and, uh, you know, it's uh, limitless there in terms of uh, how people choose to use it and interpret that. But across the, you know, four, uh, 450 odd graveyards, do you know roughly yet how many burial plots that will take in? Oh, I'd, I'd have to revert back to Maria on that one. Yep. But I'd, I'd like to think that there's, there's nobody knows and we're going to find out. Yep. Uh, that that's true, and I'll just I'll just go back a bit a little bit about you know training in where where uh, memorials are hard to decipher. Basically, where they're hard to decipher, we get them to take a photograph, mm -hmm. and um, uh, if and send it in, and we take take a look at it. And I would I would try and do it myself, or bring in other experts. Um, you know, or we ha sometimes have to pay a visit to the graveyard. Um, we did one a few years ago. And um, it was like it was a bit of a conundrum. There was uh, there was two memorials with the same information, except there was one little bit uh, was a slightly different. I went out to the graveyard to check, and it was there were actually two memorials. So uh, the story that one could have been really interested. One was erected by it gave the name of one son, and the other was erected by a different son. So the you know you you pick up loads <laughs> of little stories. You just don't know. So there was two two headstones essentially were they on the one grave or did yeah. they look like two different graves no no they were on the one grave but two memorials on the one grave and uh, they dated from 1780s but you pick up loads of information like the stuff uh, like there's really famous people buried in graveyards as well um like we found in abbey as an abbey denari there was a, a grave there and uh, one of the people buried in it was a pallbearer for lincoln president lincoln in the states so you see there's loads of stories to be told also like it's there's genealogy tourism and like i mean i was talking to somebody that wants to do this during the week and it's a, they come from a town and i su suggested as well that they could do a little they could set up a little business there because there's a lot of famous people buried in two graveyards within that town and you know bring people because people are really interested if you look at scotland in particular in edinburgh but we do provide just go back in we do provide a lot of training and we do try our best sometimes with even with the best will in the world you can't um we've used a bit of photogrammetry as well uh, for some uh, you know, kind of like where you're kind of looking at it in, um, uh, like in a, in a different uh, way. And sometimes that does work. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. But we will have given them a lot of resources. We do help them and we bring in experts. And as Breaching said earlier, it might be the time of day that they that they record. Uh, it might be sometimes they go into the graveyard at nighttime with a torch and, they, it, you know, and but it, it's, it works. <laughs> it does work. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, it's 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 a vast resource, and I think one of the biggest things, uh, I think one of the huge biggest biggest things, uh, really is um, 
um, you know, kind of is the, that this can be used by anyone else. It's free of charge. And we've had, and I'll put back, back to Barry again, we've had uh, queries from another local authority who want to see who how we've done it. And like, this is what we're about. Uh, it's not, we, while we've developed it up for the county of Galway and Galway County Council, it's there for any other local yeah. authority to use. So I'll just yeah. pass you back to Barry on that bit, because really, yeah. that's really important. Thank you. So, I mean, that would, that would be fantastic if, if other councils saw value in this solution also and took it on, because then not only can you mix data from different graveyards in Galway, but you can mix data from between councils, counties as well. So where graveyards are, are close to a border area, you know, so you build a bigger picture and a bigger picture and a bigger picture, and, and that's very exciting. Um, you mentioned drones earlier, so just, just to give you a little bit, and, and you know, we have aerial imagery available to us, but the resolution of that imagery doesn't allow somebody to pick out individual graves. So what we do is we either do it ourselves or we, we get somebody to do a drone survey, which is highly accurate, high-resolution uh, imagery where you can pick out flower pots you know on tops of graves and that enables surveyors when they go back to their uh, house or their office and they're reviewing what they surveyed they can move a point so if the accuracy of the survey wasn't great they can drag it onto the relevant grave onto the relevant gravestone um, but what we can also do is again we can create other products from aerial surveys such as 3D models. So now we have a 3D model of, the, of a particular graveyard as well. And that then enables us, or somebody, to start looking at doing 3D uh, surveys, not three, just 3D surveys, but they can create a 3D environment of the graveyard. So again, maybe somebody in America uh, is not only looking at a particular uh, grave, but they can also navigate through a 3D environment. So that's stuff that is potentially coming down the road in this. It, it can just keep growing and building, and it's great. That's that's so fascinating. Only in recent weeks, we've actually, um, we, uh, on the show here, we've spoken to people in the immersive technology space, and, and we're seeing um, how that technology has really moved beyond something that's a novelty to, to really being a resource. And I think COVID has been a huge driver. You know, whenever we talk to anybody around technology, we can see that COVID has been a driver. Um, but that's a really exciting future to think that you could mm. be able to virtually walk through a graveyard, you know, particularly for people who are outside the country or of limited mobility, to think that they could feel that they could visit the grave of a loved one um, yes. or indeed family members and seek solace there. Um, it's an absolutely fascinating project. Thank you to the three of you for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. It's definitely something that we hope we see uh, rolled out right across the country. It would be such a resource for Ireland, a, a country. I mean, look, it's probably no coincidence that this is a project that's emanated from the west of Ireland and uh, and from Galway, but particularly along the west of Ireland. But we know that the diaspora is spread far and wide, so it's definitely something we'd love to see available for every local authority in Ireland. So um, thank you all so much uh, for sharing. And by the way, how can local community groups, is there still an opportunity for the, them to get involved if their area or their local graveyard hasn't been mapped yet? How do they get in touch with you? 
Um, I suppose usually what happens is the local community come and would ma make an initial contact with me first and uh, we see what they want to do, what resources they have available, what resources they need, and then try and schedule it in because we've very, we, we're limited in the sense that there's just three of us. So um, basically they will have may have to buy in, they will have to buy in kind of, I suppose, somebody to train them on the ground. We used to do that bridging and myself years and years ago I used to do that, but our jobs have got so busy now we can't. And, uh, so they buy in those resources, but we work with them all the way um, mm -hmm. and tell them what funding is out there, in particular funding from our own resources, Galway County Council Community Sports Scheme grants, Heritage Council uh, Community Sports Scheme, and then the two leader companies. They're the four real um, sources of funding. And we just walk them through it and just get them prepared and get them, you know, get them as, I suppose, get them as, um, you know, kind of as, as tech savvy as possible, but also as well as getting them tech savvy to know and understand memorials and to understand graveyards. So mm -hmm. it's hugely important. So there's a lot of work, but it's really been, it's it's really, um, I suppose it's, it's, it's hugely important. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, and it's, we cover north, south, east, west of the county. Super. Listen, again, thank you all so much. Such an interesting project. So important, not just for this generation, but for generations to come. So it's so exciting. Um, and thank you for taking the initiative and driving this on. Really exciting. And I encourage anybody locally um, through groups that wish to get involved or indeed other local authorities, reach out to the team there, to Marie, Barry and Bree Jean. Uh, they'll be only too delighted to help, I suspect. So um, my thanks, that's all we have time for today. My thanks to Marie Mannion, Barry Doyle and Bree Jean Feeney of Galway County Council. And thank you indeed for joining us today. Um, also, thanks to producer Katie Tallon and the production team at Hear Me Roar Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. Um, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Property Roundup here on iProperty Radio. 